This week, we dive into the world of post-traumatic stress disorder with ex-SAS serviceman and now breathwork coach, Matt Bruce. Matt talks about escaping unhealthy male role models to join the army and how that led to spending 10 years in a constant environment of being switched on that resulted in chronic adrenal fatigue. Matt shares how he became more and more disconnected from his body until such a point he hit rock bottom and had to leave the army to salvage a relationship with his partner. Self-confessed trauma nerd, Matt provides a fantastic framework for explanation that is super clear and practical. And this is really important because just because you've not served in the military doesn't mean that there's not a chance that you're not carrying your own trauma in your system. Matt goes really deep and explains how trauma is less about the actual event itself and more about how you and your body receives trauma. He also goes on to explain how breathwork is such a powerful tool in releasing trauma. What makes this a fascinating conversation is the real life examples Matt draws on to make trauma real. He's a super caring guy and you can really feel his journey and passion to want to help others in the way he speaks. So I'm going to let you enjoy Matt. Hello and welcome back to WA Real. I'm your host Bryn Edwards. Serving your country, PTSD, breathing and happiness are just some of the things that we'll be getting into today with my guest Matt Bruce. Matt, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Thank you. So one of the questions I like to ask my guests at the start is how they've ended up coming to be in WA. A lot of people are born here, a lot of people come here. Now, I understand you were originally born in Victoria, is that right? Yeah, that's correct. And you came here in 2013. Yeah, about that, yeah. Yeah, so can you tell me how and why you came here? Yeah, so I was in the army at the time. I had a posting to Melbourne and a warrant officer called me up and said, Matt, we want you to come to the SAS and be a support support person. So I called my partner at the time then and said, I know your family's back in Melbourne, but how do you feel about going to Perth? So she was on board, um, and then he was. Was she on board straight away? Was there a bit? Yeah, a little bit. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I think you know when you're going to head home, and then for us to just change the plan at the last minute. um, Yeah. So. Yeah. And here we are. So I've been here since then, um, and I guess once I got out of the military, uh, the employment opportunities within Perth. So I was a telecommunications engineer in the um, military. So those skills are very transferable to the mining sector. Yes. Uh, so then that's what see me stay here. And I purchased a, a property as well too. So yeah, I definitely have some roots in Perth now. Yeah. What, um, as you were growing up in Victoria, what did you know about Western Australia and Perth? <laughs> Good question. I think uh, my dad told me a story once about him crossing the Nullarbor. Yes. In like an old, some kind of old um, Holden uh, yeah. car and he said that it was that hot that they had like a, a a boat on the roof like strapped down that they had to like pull the boat off and fill it full of water and use it as like a little swimming pool oh wow um and then i guess as a child i have memories of the pitch at the whacker from cricket and they're always having bounce um, and then obviously being a North Melbourne supporter, I have right. uh, memories of, um, the ridiculous amounts of free kicks that you guys all get in the football. Right. Yeah. So they're, right. they're, they're the things that come to mind. Right. And, um, what's your impression of it now? Is it home? Or yeah. Is, yeah. I love it. It's the best. So I've lived in Brisbane, Melbourne, Sydney, and now Perth. <clears throat> 
And mm. I think Perth's the best capital city in all Australia. Why is um, the freedom to get to the beach, you know, like you could be living in any suburb, you're 25 minutes from the beach nearly. Even when you're in the hills, you can get to the beach in 25, half an hour. Yeah. Um, it can be the hottest day of the year. You can pull up, it's free, um, and you just have direct access to one of the best beaches in the world. Yeah. And that like, you know, and I swim in the winter now, so it's yeah. 365 days of the year that I can go for a swim um, in a beautiful beach. The traffic is not too chaotic. The I'm glad you said that because a lot of um, people who are born and bred in Perth will moan about the traffic. And I, you know, I come from England where it's nuts, right? So this is, not, I've never really had a pro- problem with the traffic. Yeah, it moves slow, but. Yeah, absolutely. I used to drive all the way through the city to get to work and it was like less than 17 minutes. And I don't know too many capital cities in Australia that you can drive entirely through in you know under 15 minutes so yeah it's um there's a lot of positives here uh i don't drink alcohol anymore so i'm not affected by those high beer um, prices that we might get stung with when we go out um but yeah it's a beautiful city um and yeah i could i could go on and on yeah awesome so if i um look across your story there's a strong emphasis on on service service to others you know initially to the country and now to others through the work you do around PTSD and breathing and things like that. Where does the, like the focus on serving others come from in Matt's story? Yeah, it's a really good question. I think it's part of my human design. Right. Um, And, you know, I'm very aware of like the, the alignment that I have within myself when I'm part of something bigger and Mm. like working towards something like with a collective that I'm super aware of and, you know, definitely in serving others, there's a form of, um, I guess like deep, um, nourishment that I get within myself. You know, yeah. some people could call it val- validation, but it's nearly like a sense of uh, nourishment. And I guess, um, in, I'm being so disconnected to myself for so many years that in meeting uh, all of these other unique characters and getting to understand them on a deeper layer and, and helping them on their journey, I understand yeah. myself more as well. So everyone's extremely unique and has all these unique, beautiful, amazing qualities that when I get to interact with them, you know, I get to see that within myself and I get to understand more about myself on a deeper level um, and just really get to level up, I guess. So yeah, yeah being of service definitely has its positives. And yeah, I think... Um, yeah, it's just something that's within me, yeah. Nice, mm. nice. So, if we're going to start diving into the Matt story, I suppose your time in the military is the best place to start. Yeah. So, how? let's start with some of the basic questions. Why did you enlist? When? What yeah. was the big draw? Yeah, I think... Um a lot like uh, many males growing up in the 1980s, I had, you know, some pretty unhealthy masculine role models around me at the time. And that was just a reflection of the time. Um, my father included and some of my best friends, older brothers, etc. What made them unhealthy? I think the, the, the way that they were relating to their masculinity. So the way that they were like displaying anger, the unhealthy choices that they were making to... Um, disconnect from their emotions etc yeah um were just the way of the times back then but mm. i guess ultimately in me growing up as a young boy my environmental conditions really uh 
affected me from what I was seeing and what I was interacting with for yeah, the choices we, that I was making. Yeah, you pick it up because yeah. it's the yeah. norm yeah. that you swim in, isn't it? Yeah, so the choices that I was making were heavily reflected around my environment. And I think it got to the point where I'd made enough unhealthy choices that I realized that I needed to make change. Yeah. Um, and I think I was, you know, 20 years old. Um, I uh, not really invested in my education or going to university and I really needed to uh, probably disconnect from the friends and the activities I was doing. So drinking, taking drugs, um, and probably had burned a lot of my relationships with the females that existed in my small country town as well too. So um, I really needed to, yeah, just become a better version of myself. Um, And I looked at multiple options to kind of make some changes within my life. So you felt like you needed to do something dramatic, like to... Yeah, I thought like moving to the city and getting an apprenticeship um, would be like a good option for me to just have like an exchange of environment. And then I guess on me looking around, I found um, a telecommunications uh, engineer position within the military. Um, and at the time I had a 3310 Nokia. And I thought, I can't really see them getting rid of mobile phones anytime soon and an investment in understanding how telecommunications networks were working right. um, and being paid a reasonable wage by the military sounded like a really good idea yeah so uh my so it's as simple as that yeah for me yeah yeah <laughs> i thought that that sounds like a really good idea yeah uh, not really putting much thought into war in afghanistan and and the um physical effects of the body and i guess i was very sheltered because i didn't really know anyone in the military so it was yeah. a very um a very big decision my mum my dad nearly fell off their chairs they're like you won't so there was no history in the family yeah no the they're like serving. you know you won't last two seconds in the military yeah. Um, Why do they say that? Just because I think I, I was a little bit stubborn in how I saw the world yeah. um, and being told what to do. But I guess ultimately when I made the choice to go into that system, I then knew and understood the rules and I just kind of worked with the, the military and yeah, I, uh, it's like a duck to water. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think... Um, what was it that you enjoyed about it? I think it wasn't so much the enjoyment. It was more of the, I knew that I was receiving um, something out of that, like the skills that I was receiving, the qualifications that I'd gained, and I had purpose, direction, structure, um, and all of the things that I was probably lacking previously. Um, And yeah, there was a lot of excitement as well too. You think um, as a young male, we're here to experience the world and experience um, our country and if not the um, other shores and I guess yeah. the the military and the positive aspects gives you a lot of exposure um, to you know as I said before I've lived in every capital city and that's through the military so you know that in itself is just a, a great experience within Australia to to know every CBD off the top of your head when you go there for a, a holiday you can drive yeah. around there still um, but yeah you get to experience uh, life in different ways yeah because yeah. If I think of the military, some of the things that spring to mind for me is like, you know, structure, routine, but also training, excellence, high performance, you know, um, having that clear structure of communication and things like that. Almost some of the things that seem to be so blurred and tempered in in everyday civilian life. So I can, I have no background in history. Uh, in, in the military but that's the sort of thing that springs to mind is that what was appealing to what was well, firing I, I think that that was naturally to me like I've always had drive I've always been able to 
um, think quickly and to um, have like a mind for myself which uh, allowed me to just kind of achieve those um, goals within the military um, and you know I fell in love with exercise when I was in there yeah. um, I used to train twice a day and I'd say that I probably developed an addiction to exercise as like a coping mechanism but so when you are actively looking to better yourself in the physical department you're um, academical results are quite good and then your drive and your ability to control your aggression um, it was there for me personally I made a great soldier yeah mm. yep. it's interesting you made yeah. a great soldier yeah yeah so um, you were in the military for 10 years what sort of things did you get up to um, where, where did you go yeah uh, so multiple deployments yep. to Afghanistan and to Jordan a um, few overseas trips like Philippines and a couple other destinations a few small country towns that I never thought I'd go to like in between Queen, in between Brisbane and Gladstone there's a few little small country towns up there and some real unique um, places uh, but yeah um, probably the big things that stand out are Afghanistan and Jordan just, I guess, the, the amount of time that you spend in those countries. That, mm. um, you know, I guess I've technically lived there as well too. Yeah. Yeah. So what, what those two big things, what, what were you focused on in that? So Af- as in Afghanistan, as a telecommunications engineer, um, my yeah. first job when I got there was to fix some drone footage. Uh, so there was a particular drone that we had um, as a capability. Yeah, uh, the commanders of special forces and the MTF task force would kind of use to make um, decisions on where they would send Australian soldiers or what um, foreign nationals might be up to in certain situations. Uh, and then the, that feed wasn't getting to the headquarters like very stably. Uh, so then myself, um, I didn't really sleep for probably five or six weeks. I'd probably have it about two or three hours sleep a night for about five weeks while I was trying to fix this circuit. Wow. So the drones landed at 10 o'clock at night, I think, and then they took off at maybe 4, 3 or 4 a.m. again. So I had a small window of opportunity in the middle of the night where I could break this circuit apart and then cross my fingers and hope that it went back together um, at the end of the night. Yeah. Uh, so then we had the capability, at least in its broken, cap- like in its non-functional capability. Um, so, yeah, that was my first five or six weeks in Afghanistan, just basically working through the day and then working at night yeah so got it done got the job done and and fixed it so yeah um we got the result but ultimately when you kind of reflect in hindsight now in the in the spaces that i am in my emotional development and less disconnected from my emotions you you kind of think back to what uh role did you play in afghanistan with providing digital footage and you know what role did that play in like uh assisting other soldiers on the ground and probably taking the lives of other humans as well. Mm. 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 I'm going to come back to that yeah. in a sec. What, was, what were the sort of things you were doing in Jordan? Jordan was like a um, combined um, combined special forces mission. So I was there as the SAS working with... Is this once you joined us? Yeah, so yeah. I was support staff, so... Not like a Bray qualified, um, I just was the communications guy that would go out with the Bray qualified or the intelligence officers, etc., and provide them the tools that they needed to get their job done. Uh, so we're there uh, basically using social media to gather intelligence on Australian citizens that were moving into Syria. Um, right. And that was when ISIS basically started 
Yeah. So yeah. that would see us looking at a lot of like graphic digital material um, mm. and spending six months in Jordan, to be honest. Um, I was just suffering major burnout. Like, yeah. you know, people speak of burnout in the, you know, the office environment. I think that I had not stopped for eight or nine years. Like ever since I enlisted in the military, I'd just been running nonstop. Mm. Um, and even in summer holidays, I'd like to train twice a day in the summer holidays to keep <laughs> my, keep my adrenals. Yeah, yeah. Keep my adrenals going. And I was just always in a massive stimulated state mm. till I got to the point where I was in Jordan. And I think that that was just, yeah, the, the yeah, exactly. When I got back from there, uh, there was definitely burnout, trauma, all of these things. Yeah. Um, and yeah, definitely still did a good job there and still, um, yeah, it was, we were good capability and we served Australia well, but, um, yeah, there's still, I guess, things that I've like looked back on in that mission and say, you know, how have I prevented some Australian mothers from coming back to Australia? Um, the young Australian mothers that have made, you know, unwise, unhealthy choices like I have in my life to go to Syria in the first place. And now they can't come back to Australia. So yeah, once again, you kind of reflect on your actions and, yeah. and what part you've taken. Yeah. So, if we take the fact that you, as you, as you said, you had unhealthy role models before you joined the army, and then you joined the army as what, twenty years old, so it's still part of that whole maturing process. Talk to me about that because you, you've you've alluded to it already. You know, we we developers, we develop on lots of different levels as we grow. However, I can't imagine, well, that's a bit of a wide sweeping assumption, but you've talked about your emotional development and, and I know you've mentioned, you know, almost being cut off from your emotional self. Is there no focus on that in the development of young men in the military? Yeah, absolutely not. Uh, so yeah, I guess all role models within the military that I could see uh, were not showing like um levels of compassion or empathy um and we we're kind of highly stimulated like myself mm. um so when you say highly stimulated it's like go go on 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 yeah on a mission yeah <laughs> you know even try, to try, the try, point try. where you know you go home and you're setting your alarm for bed the night before and you're stimulated to the point where you know i have to wake up on time and i have to get to my job otherwise there's repercussions Yes. There's an element of fear within your mind as you're setting your alarm. Mm. And as you wake up in the morning and check your alarm, there's an element of fear. Like, are you going to, are you going to be where you're meant to be? Because that's kind of like part of the training. Of, Most people will be, yeah, let people yeah, down. Yeah, so ultimately. I can imagine there's a lot of anxiety, fear-based stuff going on there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then it's just, uh, there's not a lot of education around um, like ways to minimize the effects of stress. I guess in the army, there's like mm. um, big amounts of stress. You've got physical, environmental, nutritional, and emotional. And all of those are basically extremely heightened within the military. Um, and then there's no actual education around not just our emotional bodies, but how we could actually minimize the amount of stress that we're taking on in different mm. environments. Um, and I think we watched this heat video every year for 10 years in the army or maybe seven before I got to Perth. Um, heat video. Yeah, it's just like a heat stroke video of what you should do if you see somebody who's suffering from heat. There's obviously somebody's lost their life at some point on an exercise from right. heat. So then one of the mitigating um, elements of that risk is to create a, a, um, 
educational video and to play yeah. it back to soldiers so they can see if their friends um, are yes. affected by heat, they could effectively prevent a life. Yeah. But you think about the amount of lives that have been lost through PTSD and through trauma and stress-related um, mental illness uh, over the years, they're not actually playing back the videos every year around how we could take you know preventative mental health seriously within mm. the military to actually stop some of the accumulation of... Uh, stress that we're going through um mm. and you know we're not talking large changes we don't have to give every soldier um emotional intelligence and uh but we're just talking the basics of you know if your how your adrenals actually function how they work and mm. you know if you've been pushing yourself hard for six months overseas ways that you could change your diet to yeah, um, help that. regulate yeah ways that you could um you know even put a filter on your mobile phone um, and like candlelight and all these simple things, eating good fats in the morning so your adrenals aren't uh, firing on an empty stomach. Mm. All these things are just pretty simple uh, nutritional information that can take, you know, how I've healed myself through adrenal fatigue um, and what other soldiers could actually be using as preventative measures or just have at least the awareness and the mm. education to make that choice themselves. Yeah. Um, I'll go ask you a blunt question, yeah. right? Um, and then I'm going to ask you about how you start to notice your fatigue and stuff. But um, I'm going to ask, because again, I've not been in the military, you have. Is there a role for mental health in the military? As in, given, given the nature of the job, which, and again, if I'm being blunt, pull me up. Um, you know, the, part of the business end is combat Mm. And, and and potentially taking life and so is is it almost that the military will continue to function and do its job if mental health is put to one side do you see where i'm going with yeah it? agreed yeah uh, so they're in the business it's because you're here i have the opportunity yeah. to have this yeah. discussion and ask this question you know like you know ultimately i don't give too much of my time worrying about that these days there's mm. a lot of soldiers out there that are looking towards canberra looking towards the um uh department of veteran affairs to make large changes from the top down all I can really do is take responsibility for my mental health mm. and what I put out into the world and how I can change myself and my community around myself um, and how I can interact with ex-veterans and provide assistance to them and pass on the knowledge that I've learned within myself. So I can answer your question of my personal opinion, yeah. but to give too much of my time and energy to yeah. look up to Canberra and, and how they're actually going to fix it is beyond my control yeah hopefully we can create such a, yeah. a large momentum through assisting one another through our community and through uh, what is actually within our control that we can make a large change so yeah i mean my my question and often when i ask bigger blunt questions mm. like that in the podcast it's not with the view of let's go and rally camera it's more mm. a you know you've been in the military for 10 years in order to understand so you know what its role is and what it's there to do i guess it really comes back to the why of yeah. the individual and if the why of the individual is in alignment with the why of the military that then mm. therefore the uh, emotional intelligence of a soldier as long as they have emotional intelligence and their why is still in alignment yeah. then ultimately i could see that that would work yeah. But if the why for that individual starts yeah, to deviate, exactly, and the why isn't in alignment, then well, I guess they're not going to be in alignment with their, yeah. their choice of service anymore as well, too. 
Um, is and, that what happened for you? Um, no, definitely not. Yeah, yeah, so I just blew up. Like, you just blew up. Yeah, a massive, massive explosion. Yeah. Um, you know, which lasted for three years basically. Yeah. Um, and pretty painful three years in my mm. dad. Yeah. So tell um, me about that then. So you, you're on, you're on, you're on, you're on, you're on. Yep. When did it go? When did you start to notice? Oh, I'm a bit fatigued. I'm a bit drawn. Or how did it start presenting? I think it was itself? like when I um, lost my ability to exercise. So I did like a meniscus in my knee and a slap tear in my shoulder um, and a few other bits and pieces. Mm. So it was when I lost that ability to be um, performing high intensity workouts, which were feeding like a the adrenaline that I kind of needed, like it's no different to an AFL football player that blows up after they leave the, the game. Yeah. We're both addicted to high stress environments. Yes. And then once you take out that ability to um, be in football or exercise at high intensity, you just implode because your body is not actually being able to create that level of adrenaline and cortisol mm. through exercise. Through and, and you've created all these receptors that are just wanting to be fat. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's a bit yeah. like somebody who's addicted to smoking. Yeah, you have an emotional addiction to yeah. to stress, to adrenaline, to these um, things within your body that you're now living your life in a way to create that. Your mind over 10 years has actually started to change its cognitive function to give you that. So you become cranky. You... You know, you bloody this, bloody this, that person, that. And uh, the amount of anger that ex-veterans have towards the outwards-facing world is just a reflection of their mind just trying to create an emotional addiction within themselves. Mm. Um, and you see the same thing in mining as well. So you'll go up to a mine site and you'll see a bunch of cranky miners, but the only reason they're cranky is because the adrenal and their body is being pushed too far outwards that now they need a story of anger to create the levels of stress that their body to needs feed to feed it. it. Yeah. Yeah. So mining, um, AFL football players, PTSD, um, through veterans, a lot of these things are all very similar. They're just so you the see similar patterns. Yeah. hundred percent. It's just the yeah. body's way of, of creating a, an emotional addiction to feed a baseline. That's kind of nearly always trending upwards. And you can see that in today's modern society with the amount of gyms, the high intensity gyms that have been created on every corner, everywhere, and the amount of cafe, the amount of coffee that's been served. So there's, they, they are just a direct reflection of this trending upward cycle of cortisol and yeah. adrenaline in today's society. So it's fascinating that you say this because about five years ago, I stopped drinking coffee because I found it was making me just sticking a bit of anxiety into mm. the system mm -hmm. and, it, and it's been great since and and it's almost kind of when you stop something and then you stop and watch everybody else around you mm. it's like Jesus everybody's on the coffee mm. all the time mm. you know and even in my psychology degree at university we were introduced to the idea of psychoactive substances you know coffee was in there mm. caffeine and and also the exercise because I've only of recent um I had big goals around swimming to Rottnest, which I achieved, and you know, ocean swimming was my thing for a while. And then just recently, I've just noticed because I moved to a more movement based practice than an achievement based practice mm -hmm. for my physical recreation. And you take that achievement away, mm. that was very challenging. Mm. And then also, I found that most of my exercise has been driven through anxiety. Mm. Yeah. And you know, it's also when, part of the cause as well too. Yeah, it's like a self-fulfilling so, cycle. Yeah, and so of recent, I've just 
I've just had to sort of super down regulate to a couple of movement classes a week. I have a cap of about a kilometer of swimming mm-hmm. instead of five kilometers. It's mm-hmm. like I'll do one, mm-hmm. and I do a lot more walking at the moment, mm. and and that's drawn attention to itself from friends, mm. and they've asked, and then you know, particularly amongst males, I've talked to them about you know, anxiety based and mm. behind exercise, and you've got to be on it, particularly here in WA. You know, we're up early, we yeah. like to be doing stuff, or everybody's always, you know, in a triathlon or doing this and it's it's yeah it seems to be a thing yeah that absolutely on earth thing and now you've just come and talked about it yeah. as well so 100 percent, like you have to honor the body and if your body is telling you to pull up and have a bit of rest mm. um and that's making you feel good 100 percent, you've got to go with that um and you know our body has such a innate intelligence within it um, that we can heal ourselves if we take our foot off the pedal. It's not rocket science. Yeah. You've been going hard for 10, 15 years. You sit around and eat healthy food. You get off the beers, you get off the coffee, and you give yourself some space like internally, and your body will just do the rest. Mm. But it's just about how we can go against all the programming that we've received, what our friends are commenting on us about as well too. And, go and what against, my friends are doing. Yeah, and go against all of those social norms to actually come back to a place of center, which can actually help us um, level mm. up. Yeah. So... Last was it the last three years of your ten years you started to get progressively more. Yeah, so I think um, probably you reach your apex and now you're. Gonna... Yeah, so when I like um, uh, my body broke down to exercise and I couldn't yeah, yeah. fulfill that. Um, yeah, I started using drugs and porn and sex and all of these coping mechanisms to right. try and to fulfill uh, what I needed for you know I didn't even know I was so disconnected that I didn't even know what was happening within myself um, and. I think uh, I had lost all the compassion and empathy within my heart. So I noticed it uh, on the trip in Jordan. It took me some time to like kind of um, have the level, the level of awareness to, to look back on this, is that my compassion and empathy had just like closed down. And I guess that that's something that can happen in burnout, but it's something that can happen when you're looking at really gross um, material graphic material online beheadings which is what you had to do beheadings and, and people being set on fire and stuff like that and that's a level of trauma and if I'm already burnt out I can't process that my yeah. body has no way of actually just kind of like having a healthy um, coping mechanism of getting rid of that you know I was on six cup of cu- six cups of coffee a day when I was wow. watching trauma so then just shows you how far out of alignment I six was cups already of coffee, yeah. yeah black coffee yeah. Um, screen time of yeah beheadings and exactly all yeah watching uh, on my computer to 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night with white light in my eyes before I'm going to sleep um, and then waking up in a war zone uh, or like waking up on a base in a foreign country, um, you know, and then dealing with having a partner that you haven't seen for pretty much seven years uh, and all the emotional stress that comes with that. So, yeah, my implosion was quite big. Um, and so what did your implosion I guess massive amounts of disconnection from myself. Like really, if you break it down to like a really, really inner um, perspective, my outside world is only just reflecting my inside world. And I was so disconnected from my heart and my empathy, my compassion and and all those human qualities and my emotions that my outside world was just a reflection of that. So Mm. the drugs, the porn, the um, pushing my family members away, pushing friends away and just isolating myself... Um, and seeing the stress in the world was just a reflection of where I was inside myself. Um, same as if you ever meet somebody on the street who is 
acting very unhealthily give that guy lots of compassion because ultimately you know what he's doing in his outside world how he's interacting with the world is a real true reflection of how disconnected he is within within himself Mm. so don't judge that guy give him some love and compassion because that's what he needs to find within himself um and yeah that was a really really big part of me i guess i got to the point where i was so disconnected that i needed change yeah and what was the tipping point where you suddenly decided it was edu- education it was gina reinhardt working at roy hill um so this is post military no, yeah this post military i got put on a leadership course um and there was a bit of information around my amygdala and how the fight or flight response was working and what that uh, role was playing in my life as soon as i had that little piece of information that was enough to send me down a rabbit hole of self-inquiry for three years or four, yeah. you know, probably four years um, and i think that every i was so disconnected and in such a need for change that as soon as i had that bit of information i was basically starting to make change in every moment beyond that yeah and it was just a viewing the life through the eyes of you know what change is possible in here and how can i move towards being a better version of myself yeah uh, and it was just like a true true catalyst so yeah why did you leave the military did you just uh so yeah i the i did an exercise to uh, xmouth once i got back from jordan i hurt my back as well too so you know on top of so you're uh, racking up the injuries yeah so on top of it um uh, meniscus in my right knee and slap tear in my right shoulder I'd like narrowed the disc in my back and I couldn't move for like three weeks basically I was like floor ridden um, I'd get to work at 8 and by 9.30 my back had blown out and I had to lay down um, so I was like extremely like uh, disconnected from that was my first disconnection from um, exercise my partner from me coming back from Jordan wanted to leave me because I guess ultimately you know, our partners are, are feeling creatures and when they yeah. can't feel the love present within yourself, they don't want to be in a relationship with you anymore. Mm. So she wanted to leave me and then, and that was basically such a level of disconnection from the stuff that I've witnessed in Jordan that my whole life imploded. So I started to drink like, you know, a litre and a bit of scotch a night basically. Yeah, that was at the start of that and then that turned into, you know, uh, long nights out on the on the booze um, you know, I think I went on a course in Brisbane and I spent, you know, the after the the league, I think we watched the State of Origin League, I spent the whole next day, you know, not being in the course and pretty much throwing up in the toilets because I was so hungover. Um, and then all that all led to a point where the military wanted to kick me out. Um, right. I had to show cause. So I was quite lucky in the sense that, you know, the um, CEO and OCs of SASR pretty much realized what had happened um and they put in a that i could stay in the unit and i guess they were just going to address where i was at um and they knew that i was a good soldier and they kind of had understood what had happened uh the larger army uh, wasn't in agreement, and i basically had a choice if i could show cause with the backing of the co and the oc etc or i could go get another job i had a um ex kind of service um organization offered me a really amazing job with really uh, high paying money um and i guess that i wanted to try and salvage some kind of relationship with my partner if my partner was ready to leave me at the time because i was so closed off and i'd been away and absent for so long yeah i elected to kind of leave the military in that moment so then i could try and foster some kind of relationship with my ex-partner and see what our relationship could be in me not being away so often as well too yeah Yeah. so that's when you moved on yeah 
time everything happens for a reason and yeah, yeah it's time to go so it's almost like yeah. yeah there's so much like a self-love there self-destruction that's yeah. a cry for help yeah yeah and just not having any emotional intelligence at all or any understanding of like you know that was happening and yeah. i guess that's probably the most disappointing thing in the military that uh you know that those role models and those peers aren't like having those chats to you when you get back after deployment being like you know you're hitting the piss pretty hard do you think that you might have a problem is there something that you could look at yeah you know, and that's a pretty standard conversation yeah it's a pretty standard conversation that i don't think any single leader like post deployment had with me in yeah. my time so you know those are the um changes that we could hopefully make through a bit of education and and losing the stigma around you know mental health in today's society but especially in the army that you know that level of conversation could have stopped me you know we speak in the happiness co about preventative mental health care and we call it the green yellow and red you know at that stage i might have been in the yellow before i was like fully in the red and a conversation could have been the catalyst for me to kind of start working towards you know being back in the green there before yes. something very destructive had happened yeah hmm hmm but we're here now and there's a story to tell and um, yeah. uh, it's, it's, I've learned a lot and you know, I definitely wouldn't change a thing and I'm extremely grateful for all the times I fell over and bumped my head because uh, it's just made me wiser and given me more knowledge and, and given me more ability to go out of there and more mm. drive to help other soldiers as well too. There's, um, you know, I've done over 100, 120 episodes and there seems to be that pattern that people have to hit the rock bottom to come up and then mm. you know, see the light and see what they need to do. And it's, it's, it's nice that, you know, listen, well, it's that similar pattern in your story and, and, you, and you're saying the same thing in that, you know, I, I see that I had to do that to get to where I am. Mm. And it, it almost seems like part of the human yeah, experience. experience. Yeah. yeah. That we have to get to a sense of gratitude for that low point. Yeah. For yeah. where we are now. Yeah. I think, um, you know, I think we're at a critical point in the world and time for mm. change. Um, and I don't think that everyone has to hit uh, rock bottom, but there needs to be a shift. And I think that, um, you know, we're kind of like the Avengers now. So all of those unique people that have had those unique experiences mm. can be a role model for change. Yes. And I think ultimately... You know, the reason that I didn't change is I didn't have those role models, yeah. you know, and those environmental factors that I spoke about in the, at the very beginning. And if you've got healthy role models within your environment that are showing you that it is possible for change, then people don't mm. actually have to hit rock bottom. Yeah. It's about actually creating that uh, structure within our community that people have the correct avenger to say, like, you know, role model to go to to yes. look up to, to have that level of empathy and understanding within that person, within that dynamic, that then they can see that as a possibility for change. I yeah. love that. Yeah. I love that analogy. Mm. Because certainly, you know, if you look at some of the symptoms, and we'll call them symptoms that you're exhibiting, that you're talking about, you know, drinking, shit ton of piss, um, you know, being cranky, porn, all sorts of stuff, you know, you don't need to have been to the military and, and done mm. stuff in Jordan to start exhibiting those symptoms. That they're out there. Well, that hundred percent just comes back to one thing, and that's a lack of love for ourselves as males. And you know that is just if we if we're not fulfilling our needs properly, 
our needs are going to show up in in dark ways or they're going to come out sideways and if we're suppressing parts of our emotion they're going to come out in unhealthy ways as well too so true so in us actually making room for our emotions and loving ourselves and holding space Mm. for ourselves to do that we're then actually going to turn off all of those other Mm. things so i guess it's not so much about the the coping mechanisms or the dark sides it's about just coming straight back to the cause and that's loving yourself and and understanding yourself and caring for yourself yourself. yeah not sectioning it off with this whole crap of well men are like this but they're not like that yeah yeah you know men do this but they don't do that they show emotion they don't show emotion but they do do you know Mm. all of their stuff which they're they're just all stories they're they're all stories but they're also divisive stories that put us into a state of duality yeah yeah and and one of the things that I, I've learned through my own experience and listening to the experiences of others is that you can hang on to that for a certain period of time. And I think it, it, unless you have almost like a pressure cooker of stuff going on, which I would suggest you did, um, if that's left to normally transpire, you get to the end of your 30s and you get to what I refer to as the apex of mm. the power of the individual ego, mm. where you are this but not that. Yep. And that that psychic power will get you to about the end of your 30s mm-hmm. and then it'll just... And then the rest of it goes, no, with this as well. Mm. And all those those boxes you've packed up and put to one side burst open. Yep. That's why we end up with what, you know, people call it midlife crisis. It's more like midlife realignment. Because you are all of this. And it's you can see that happening in children these days. You can see the yeah. amount of anxiety that kids are having. They're going through the exact same struggles that we are as 30, 40-year-olds is happening too. So it's not so much a reflection of the individual's age. Mm. It's more of a reflection of the time for the whole of humanity. Yeah. And you can see that the, the damage that phones and Facebook and all these things are happening to everyone as a whole, that we're all kind of coming up to this big catalyst point. Mm. Um, and you know that's pretty exciting to see because you know in how I've transformed and struggle if the world is is in a place of struggle there can only really be good things to come that's yeah. my belief system but um, you know definitely I would concur with you yeah that. definitely it's yeah. easy to look at the world right now yeah. and go oh it's going to hell in the handbasket yeah but it needs to yeah and I think that you know uh when we create stories and create that duality, it's just really a protection mechanism for something we can't process and we're not ready to process. And, you know, that's the whole point of, you know, once you choose love for yourself, it's a long road to get through all of that duality that exists within our, our minds, our tissue, our nervous system, all of those things. So for us to actually integrate back into uh, our whole self and remove the duality that we see in the outside world is just a slow step that will happen as long as mm. you just keep showing up for yourself um, over time that will basically happen that integration and yeah your nervous system your heart and and all these good things will just get back into alignment yeah. mm. so give me some of the highlights along the journey from when you went to the course with Roy Hill mm-hmm. and you started to learn about the fight or flight and that's almost like the listening to you it almost sounds like that's the tipping point of right we're moving forwards now what are some of the things what you know you said you went down the rabbit hole but well, I think, what are some um, of the things you learned and did you know because you're at a place now where you're yeah. helping others but be, I have this idea that there's this almost like uh, learn live and lead yeah model in life but you have to do the learning and the living first. What, yep. what sort of things? So I guess what comes to mind is um, just throwing it all in and uh, moving to Bali. 
So I guess um, I'd started to make healthy changes, yeah. but I knew that my work environment wasn't really good for my nervous system, my yeah. ability to heal. That was in the mining um, sector. Yeah, yeah. So and it's strangely like for like yeah. coming out of the <laughs> Yeah, and, um, and I watched uh, my now boss, Julian Pace, talk at Roy Hill once, and he basically was so inspiring. And you know, I had the realization that I'd made all of these changes in my life, but the career was probably the last thing. So mm. I, I went up to Julian after he spoke and said, shook his hand and said, thank you, mate, I'm going to go quit. And I walked upstairs to my boss <laughs> and I said, boss, I'll give you two months notice to like notice, but I'm, I'm going to leave. Yeah. Um, and then basically, I, you know, went in, I still have properties with my ex. So I went and put them on the markets and we, we you know, we cut so ties. So the partner who's now your ex? Uh, so the ex-partner of eight years that I'd lost oh, yeah. in, my, in the PTSD, I kind of went back to her and said we've got to sell up you know we need to disconnect in the relationship and we started to close out what we had so thank you perth um housing market we lost you know probably three hundred thousand dollars worth of equity and money that we'd saved as like young 20s to basically yeah. end up with a credit card i basically had um you know and a car loan uh and i but i basically I just did it all um, and quit my job mm. and left to Bali with my now partner, Ruth, um, and went all in on trying to heal myself, yeah. Um, and the highlight was probably all of the growth that come within that. So mm. cutting ties, not knowing what your financial future would be, um, all of the fear and anxiety and stuff that comes up with that and how you can kind of... Um, basically process all of that and you know all of the challenges and growth that come with me getting to Bali and then the challenges and the growth that come with me being in a new environment where I could actually kind of start to make inroads into using breath work and meditation and these um, you know mm. uh, freely available tools uh, to start to heal my nervous system and and reconnect back to the parts with inside myself mm. Yeah. Is that a confronting journey? Yeah. You know, I, I just wrote a book. It's called Warrior's War. Uh, yeah. And should be out in a couple of months. But, you know, I say that the real war is coming back to yourself. Yes. You know, we go to the military and we're disconnected and we're stimulated and we get dropped off in a plane somewhere, but we're not actually connected to our feelings. So when you come back into yourself and you bring all those pieces of the puzzle and put them back into your body... You know that takes tears and effort, and the amount, of, say, yeah, the amount, of, amount of time I've cried in the mm. last three and a half years around, you know, um, understanding that you know I was supported and that I was loved and I was enough, and um, mm. all of these, uh, I guess, elements of the human psyche that we are still holding on to in this modern age of not feeling worthy enough, but pushing through all of those, um, and. You know, I guess probably opening myself up to love again. Mm. So having my partner in the physical form, you know, every time she was trying to give me that love that I dearly needed, you know, of me not closing down internally and me remaining open to that and receiving that. Yeah. Uh, it's very foreign for me. Um, and then you know, it goes against what my mind is telling me that's safe. So I have to kind of lean into that. And that could be, you know, a conversation that might be very normal to somebody who hasn't been in those um, disconnected um, ways is a very big amount of effort and like a lot of um, uh, like I'm really showing up in, in just to have a conversation or just to allow somebody to love me so yeah it's been really powerful mm. and then how did you end up coming back from Bali um, so yeah I wrote the book while I was there it was like 60,000 words in four days like fell out of me 
Really? So. Yeah. It was like I didn't even write the book, to be honest. It was like, yeah, it just fell through me. And I think it's just a reflection of what um, some modern guys that are soldiers who might be in Australia or America are needing at the moment. And then I was just there to do that. And I think Bali is one of those places that um, stuff Seems like that drawing happens. people. Yeah. Like stuff um, like that, doesn't it? And yeah, then there was kind of like a knowing within inside myself that I had to come back and face everything that I'd kind of um, compartmentalized. Um, I met another veteran while I was there, like, you know, nothing happens by coincidence, but, you know, I started to tell him my story and I hadn't even reached out to the Department of Veteran Affairs and I hadn't even spoken to any form of counsellor or anyone to receive any form of help from the military. I was so disconnected from my own self-worth as a male that I didn't even feel I was worthy of that assistance um, and the stigma that comes with that. Um, and I guess, you know, being a non-combat corps as well too, I think that that's a big one for soldiers who aren't like an infantry person that, who yeah. are um, perceived to be pulling triggers that they don't have the ability to step up and, and own that and ask for help. But yeah. I guess I was at a level of Yeah, because um, I suppose it's like, self-worth. Oh, who am I to ask for mm. help when these dudes are out there yeah. pulling triggers and doing stuff? Yeah. So then, you know, but that was my own story. You know, that was, you know, yeah. that was something that I'd created within my mind. Um, and then in me witnessing that, I've come back to Perth and I've gone through the process with Department of Veteran Affairs, um, as I should, to basically have the support that I, I needed. And, you know, that um, looked like engaging with a psychiatrist and psychologist and a mm. rehab facilitator and all of that. Um, and I guess ultimately you can't write a book on PTSD when you haven't actually had the... Um, when you've compartmentalized a whole section of that. So it was all part of it. And me coming back and and leaning into that process and completing that process was all part of what needed to go into the book as well. Um, And it come with its challenges as well too. I remember the first day that I ever got an email from the Department of Veteran Affairs, like the, you know, it was nothing harsh in it, but I just had the biggest eruption. I still had so many stories around authority yeah. Um, you know, and I literally had to go away and do a whole day's worth of self-development work just based off one email that had come in. Well, what um, it triggered in you. Yeah, yeah. And that's like, you know, or I could sit around for the next six years and get angry at every email the Department of Veteran Affairs sends me, or I could take responsibility for what the emotional trigger is within myself and, and go do the work on that to then come back and now find the process just it is what it is and you know I'm, I'm grateful that we live in a country where we can receive assistance um, and that we can have uh, help you know and that's nearly even firing started another fire within myself to maybe go to some of the other countries that exist around the world that uh, aren't giving the ex-service veterans um, you know the ability to space to time and heal to maybe go over there and be of service as well too so mm. yeah I've put that out there we'll just see if it comes about yeah. So, what? How would through all of this? Do you now have a better sort of understanding of the mechanisms of PTSD and trauma? Yeah, hundred percent. And can you share that? I call myself a trauma nerd these days. Yeah. <laughs> um, but what I have a greater understanding of is like the automatic systems that exist within our body. Yeah. I think this is a really cool realization that I had that not many people are talking about is we have all of these automated processes that exist. Yeah. Um, and our fight or flight response is one. 
our rest and digest is one. Mm. Our ability... So that's the sympathetic and the yeah, parasympathetic. Yeah. Um, yeah. Even when we see a baby, it activates a certain love and kindness within our heart that is an automatic system right. of us connecting with the child. Um, and, you know, there's Does all... Does a puppy dog do the same? Probably, yeah. 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 <laughs> and there's all of these, like, actual yeah. um, automatic systems that we have on in, in our body that we can actually start to take control of. So consciously, we can choose to activate these throughout the day and actually start to mm. use them in life. It's almost like a catalog of them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So if you're um, stressed and you've got like symptoms of anxiety or you're not like um, feeling very resilient and you're feeling kind of, um, you know, more in your head and not very present in your body and centered, you know, that's a state that you could be in your sympathetic nervous system. You could use breath work consciously to put you back into your parasympathetic nervous system mm. um, and connect back with that different side of yourself. You know, you can consciously choose to activate certain parts of that love and kindness every day, like through meditation, um, to basically go out and, and greet the world like that. You know, how cool would it be if everyone in the world was basically had that love and kindness activated mm. within themselves? And this is not woo-woo. This is like a, just a cognitive function that exists within ourselves even like within our mind the way that we start to worry about the future that's just a cognitive function that it is like a protection mechanism that's like ingrained in us that we that has served us at some point but once you can notice that your mind is starting to go to the future state and that that's a cognitive function that you can now train like a little bicep um, at the gym you can actually start to consciously take control of that as well too so if you're in a moment and you know that you're protection mechanism of worrying about the future is like activated that you can consciously be aware of that now and you can actually start to change that so i think that that's where um i really see myself in exploring these you know even just chewing our food um slowly and actually taking the time to sit and make some space that we feel safe and connected to our environment and connected to the food and that we know that the food's safe for us and we know that it's being prepared well is going to consciously allow our rest and digest system to process it more so we can actually mm. consciously turn on that so in everything that we do in our life we can actually take more intention and effort to show up in a more conscious way to then get the most out of life yeah so mm. pretty cool hey that is yeah i hadn't thought of it like that yeah like, what's like the catalog of mm. stimuli mm. you know even like i'll give you an example of you know, we know how our hippocampus works. So we know that when we're in uh, high, like high um, doses of cortisol, that it's affecting our hippocampus. And the hippocampus is time stamping our memory and storing mm. it in a certain way. So then ultimately we know that when we actually go back to the past and we bring up a story to our partner or somebody else, that literally that um, those memories are warped by our perception, our interpretation, and what's happening within our hippocampus and the type of cortisol. So, you know, we can then consciously choose to not really refer to the past or consciously choose to bring these stories up into our life that are normally just like a protection mechanism. Mm. And we can understand how they're working and interacting within ourselves. Um, and then we can start to understand how they're um, creating, you know, possibly more stress or um, like a disconnection or duality within our life and within our relationships as well too. Yeah. Mm. Mm. So you can see I've, I've had a few a few moments to thought to think and yeah. do a bit of meditation, oh. but yeah, yeah, it's really cool. Yeah, and so if somebody's listening to this mm -hmm. and they think things are slightly out of whack for them, 
what are some of the telltale signs that you know there may be an element of PTSD going on in there because I think also it's probably two parts of this question I think also you know you bring in the word you use the word trauma and it's easy to think of stuff like oh you know I witnessed a car crash or like yourself you end up having to watch lots of graphic stuff online or you know you think you can think of trauma equals something really big I mean you provided a great example of it earlier on when you said you know I don't think I have the level of worthiness because I wasn't the guy out there with the guns and the triggers mm. um, so we can we can do this to ourselves on a lesser extent like you know I didn't have the childhood where you know parents were abusive yeah. or, or or hit me about or something yeah. like that but the trauma can be trauma is individually relative to every single person because every mm. single person and how they interpret the outside world with their senses is unique to them yeah and we're all uh, interacting with the, our reality in different ways some people more visual some people more audio some people more feeling so how we're connecting with that outside world and how what our resilience is is basically how we will perceive trauma and how it enters. Mm. Um, and you know, I think that PTSD is just a label. I think that really a lot of PTSD from the military is coming from the fact that the body is just out of alignment as well. Yeah. Um, so you can see that in footballers. You might say that footballers have PTSD like yeah. symptoms, but that's just a label for yeah. somebody for the human body who's not in a healthy way. Um, and Yes, we are seeing traumatic events when we're on deployment, but a healthy body should be able to process trauma. Somebody yeah. who can has a healthy relationships with the, their ability to express themselves and right. who aren't conditioned with... That's interesting. Yeah. So it, it's not so much the event itself. Mm -hmm. It's the coping it's, mechanisms it's that the, you Yeah, have. it's the body that receives yeah. the event. And it's the conditioning that you have around your ability to cry or your ability to be able to express how you're feeling and all of those conditions that we've learnt in the first 15 years of our life that actually mm. stop us from shifting the trauma. Um, and we're basically disconnected from our humanness in the sense of we're, we've been given all these beautiful mechanisms to use, like emotions, but we're, we're disconnecting from them. Mm. Um, so then... Because yeah. there haven't been, particularly for male, good role models yeah. of how to use the systems. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, yeah, and there's no um, kind of... We've lost that ancient wisdom as well too. In mm. Bali, in Bali, they're using stuff like whaling ceremonies, and um, even in Aboriginal traditional Aboriginal um, like ceremonies, they're using whaling ceremonies as well too. So they're intentionally making time for emotion. They're actually allowing people to grieve. That's whale as in W A I L. Yeah, not yeah. W H A L. -E. Yeah, but they're allowing people to yeah. um, make space for emotions and make it culturally acceptable. And there's like a, a calendar of the year that actually encourages people to connect with that side, those sides of themselves. So that ancient wisdom we don't have in today's society. So no. you know, even that existed because we by a cause for a reason. Yeah, yeah, we've slayed all yeah. rites of passage and yeah. elderhood and yeah. Respect and so that in itself is like super powerful for us to actually um, have those uh, healthy abilities to express ourselves and even that's a massive challenge that I have it's getting easier but it's a challenge that I have in um, just in my relationship now is being able to freely express myself and everything that's coming up mm. and what's what's heavy for me in that moment and what I can express into my relationship um, and how the fear that I'm going to have around that being received um, is definitely me breaking yeah. the cycle.
But to go back you're to... You're sharing something yeah. really precious. Yeah. Oh, well, I was like, going to be To go back to the original question, I guess, you know, if anyone thinks that they may have PTSD out there, you know, that's, that's enough. Like, if you're not living your best life in today's modern age, you could be making changes to step towards a better version of yourself. Mm. Um, and, then, you know, that should be enough for any listener that's out there. If any listeners thought about making change or wants to make change, you know, that's your, that's your catalyst. That's your wisdom. That's your body intelligence telling mm. you that it's time to go take that seriously. Um, and, you know, look around for your Avenger. Look around for your um, individual motivation to know that you can make change, somebody that resonates with mm. you and somebody that um, can help you, you know, make sure, get you to where you need to be or where the possibility of you being, yeah. So what does but what are you up to now then? Um, so I guess I'm still like stabilizing, I guess. Yeah. You know, I've not, uh, I'm, I'm stabilizing from like PTSD and what that looked like. And now I'm just kind of like in a period where I'm trying to stabilize and integrate back into society. And mm. uh, through the Happiness Co, um, I've been doing a few, uh, like some um, volunteer type speaking and stuff. Um, and I'd be what you consider the breathwork um, head of mindfulness and head of breathwork now. Yeah. And that will see me kind of take on as much work as I, as my nervous system and my physical body is going to allow me without me burning out again and to just kind of like adjust back into normal life. But that's really exciting. Like that sees me um, doing a breathwork event tonight actually, so an introduction to breathwork. Um, we haven't touched much on breath work, but that was one of the key, modali- key yeah. modalities that I've used to treat my trauma um, and to actually get back into my physical body. Um, so that's that's a really cool experience that you know I'm hosting that for men and women and then um, ex-police, ex-firemen, ambulance and every type of ex-service. And that's the Avenger that I'd like to put my hand up for is to try and... Because uh, there's a lot of like... Um, people in service roles, even nurses and doctors out there as well too, that um, have gone through very uh, stressful workplaces that are not just relating to themselves to the best of their abilities. And they're only like two or three breathwork sessions away from, you know, being yeah. their, best, their best possible self. Mm. Um, and, you know, what an amazing gift that would be to the whole world or to just one individual to allow them to get back to themselves. So that's where I'm at is just uh, working with the Happiness Co. And mm. my partner and I, in the new year so my partner's got a um, story around PTSD as well too she was involved in the Bali bombings oh wow um, and saw a couple of fatalities on the mine site that she was the first responder to yeah she's a lot gentler than I am so uh, for the effects that that had on her I I learned a lot from her as well too so I guess together um, we're going to uh, basically express our story to the nation and try and change the national story of PTSD um, and try and create a, a level of content to basically give out for free uh, to all of the people that are suffering from PTSD out there, men and women, uh, you know, service or non-service related, and then basically give them all of the tools that we've learned over our journey to try and help uh, make a difference with the national story. Okay. So if any listeners, listeners out there that own any businesses that are part of our community that want to help a community kind of come together... You know, that'd be really cool if you could reach out. And that's basically where we're at. We're not trying to go to Canberra. We're not trying to lobby. We're not trying to get the government no. to do anything. We're just going to work together as a community to see that we have an issue that is basically um, at the forefront of a lot of people's, um, uh, like, 
that there's a lot of people out there struggling with PTSD and together as a community, and we're not talking about massive amounts of money, we can create some knowledge transfer and yeah. know, host a load of knowledge and you know put some ads on social media to give it to the right people in the right time of need that are disconnected and hopefully mm. make some changes in some people's lives. So I really like that, that you're not you know looking to Canberra to do something because look, a theme that's turned up again and again is that in in the podcast is that we can't sit around waiting for administrative bodies to come and look mm. after us we have to take responsibility mm-hmm. you know for ourselves for our community that's turned up talking about town planning um medical system and other places where people have just gone no i'm just going to go on with this myself yeah and i think that's that's part of the blunt truth we can't keep sitting around looking to Canberra and other leaders go, oh, come and fix it for us yeah we do agreed. we do have to take you know and that's what the happiness goes power is preventative mm. mental health care I think we've um, reached 40,000 people in person already like in two years we've yeah. been to places like Rio um, Synergy Main Roads Roy Hill um, mm. all of these amazing top tier organisations that exist out there that we've been interacting with to give them preventative mental health tool sets and to help them make healthy change in their life mm. and, and start to take individual... Having this code is a Perth-based. Yeah, yeah. Started in Perth. Um, my boss, Julian Pace, just got nominated for Australian of the Year Award. Yeah. Um, so massive growth in two years um, and it's just so needed in today's modern age and, you know, I don't have any problem waking up in the morning knowing that, you know, I'm going out there to try and help whether it be somebody who has PTSD or a corporate environment, understand the mm. capacity that they have for change and and really practical tools. So, you know, I guess the great thing about the Happiness Co is that it's um, action over awareness and it's really tool-based, like practical tools that we can learn in the green. Mm. So then when we get down into the yellow, we've got something that we can use. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of amazing awareness organizations out there, but, you know, it's time for us to actually take some radical responsibility for ourselves mm. and to start, start doing to some make, doing. Yeah, start to make some change, yeah. Mm. Yep. So one of those tools, as you said, is breathwork. Mm-hmm. Talk me through breathwork for you and... Because I can imagine Matt's quite a nerd on this as well. So... <laughs> yeah, I've probably only read 10 books in my life. Oh, right, yeah. only 10. Yeah, <laughs> but... um. Yeah, I like to analyze the present moment and there's lots of wisdom in there to receive. Mm. So, um, breath. But I imagine there's, you you can talk to the, um, yeah, the, again, the mechanics of that. Yep. Um, so yeah, breath work is really, how it's so useful with PTSD. Yeah. Really powerful in the sense that it kind of, I think we have this natural intelligence that exists within our body. Yeah. And our fight or flight response and our sympathetic nervous systems are so outwards facing in today's modern age. And we've basically now have like a, a cognitive function that all of our uh, senses are facing outwards. But we do have mm. the ability to have a cognitive function of facing like our senses inwards, you know, and that sensor is our awareness. Um, but it's something that's kind of really been lost and forgotten. So, um, what breath working really allows to do is kind of reset our um, our fight or flight response by closing our eyes. We automatically start to become more inwards. Um, in breathing, we basically start to turn off all of those cognitive functions that are in yeah. our mind to protect ourselves. So thinking about the future, yeah. you know, the past, etc. So yeah, so basically, yeah, yeah, turning off all of these processes um, until we get to a point where 
and our body is starting to become uh, over oxygenated with um, oxygen, which oh, is through yeah, the breathing. Yep, through the breathing, um, and you know we're starting to then uh, allow our nervous system to just basically unwind itself, um, and depending on the level of trauma or the um, the way that you're breathing or the way of your body composition, etc. Uh, just through one simple breath work session, you can have a pretty powerful release of just not moving. Um, you know, then there's multiple modalities of breath work out there that exist. Um, you know, shamanic breath work or um, Wim Hof, etc. Mm. Um, there's a style that I'm starting to study in, which is called biodynamic breath work, which is more of a somatic um, release. So mm. it's about you know understanding that. Um, mind and awareness connection to our feelings um, and then using that with breath work to try and kind of explore our physical body more and as we kind of occupy more space within our body Mm. um, from an awareness perspective um, from uh, basically removing some of the disjointed emotions that have been stored in our body that haven't actually been released yes we can actually just start to become more present in our bodies Mm -hmm. and our mental health is kind of reflecting that so you know, the state of our nervous system and the state of the um, how much tension we're holding within our physical bodies is mm. basically the status of our mental health. So if we're using breath work, and yes, there's heaps of other modalities out there that we can use other than breath work. So, you know, just somatic touch and even just expression or writing a letter or yelling at a tree, um, even dancing and moving your body with the intention of creating space for yourself to remove some of the um, energy or emotions that are trapped within your body can help you start to release everything. It's just a breath work is just like, I think in the, the, the reduction of all of those other, um, kind of, uh, outwards facing senses, you get something very profound because your awareness and your mm. inward attention comes so deeply present into yourself that you can start to explore parts of yourself that you've disconnected from for a long, from a long time. Yeah. I like that. The, um, just the visualization having outward focus senses and inward focus senses. Yeah. Mm. I did a 10 day Qigong course um, with one of the best Qigong uh, guys in Australia, and that was ran by the Warrior Revival. So there's a really cool guy who um, was in the SAS, um, Bray Qualified, and uh, they've set up a thing on the Gold Coast, which is 10 days of Qigong for soldiers. Yeah. You know, and Qigong is closing your eyes for up to three hours at a time with this particular master. So you do eight or nine hours a day for three hours at a time or two hours at a time. So when you've got your eyes closed and you're gently moving your body, it's very similar. You're basically, you know, you're, you're making peace with the outside world. You're kind of coming more presently inward and you're moving your body in a healthy way. You're starting to create healthy patterns of movement. You're connecting mm. to your breath. Um, and you're basically starting to reconnect to parts of yourself that you've disconnected from. Um, so yeah, there's multiple modalities out there of you being able to be more present within your physical body and kind of having more inward um, awareness. Um, it's just, you know, once again, it's like what aligns for you and, and what makes you feel comfortable and safe to explore your, 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 own, um, your own body. Mm. Mm. I've had a previous guest. Um, Richmond who um, is responsible for TRE tremor release Mm. uh, in Australia and he put forward the idea that our whole subconscious is actually our body yep not just 
the bits we don't fire in our mm-hmm. head, but all the things that are caught and mm. and trapped in our body, and that that's resonated with me since. And there's certainly elements of that with what you'll say. Yeah, hundred percent agree that you no, know, I guess you know if you go back to I'll go back to a, like a telecommunications analogy. Yeah. If you're like a piece of optic fiber and there's light shining down the the light, all of those, um, all that tension and all the blocks and all the armoring and the dis, um, uh, like our warped like spinal and all mm. of those kind of things are just the blocks. They just show up in the um, show up in the light and it just kind of refracts out from there. Yes. Yeah. So you know we know through modern like kind of. Um, quantum physics that we are basically just like light and energy and space etc so if the light is then starting to hit these denser parts within ourselves and refracting outward outwards yeah that's our subconscious kind of mind which is the block which is showing you the physical body yeah awesome yeah we don't need to go too deep into that stuff but you know for anyone that's out there who's you know, struggling with their mental health or just struggling to be the best version of themselves, the breath is like a super easy tool where you can start. Yeah. You know, whether it's like Wim Hof or whether it's you just starting to consciously breathe into your um, belly, now you know the why. You're basically changing your state from your sympathetic nervous system into your parasympathetic nervous system. So you're not just breathing because it makes you feel good, you're actually breathing for a cause. Mm. You're breathing to consciously change the state of, of where you're at in your body. Mm. when you consciously breathe to change the state within your physical body your mental health will reflect that so anxiety depression all of these things are all just like a um a, a byproduct of you not being in your parasympathetic nervous system and not feeling safe in your environment um, and you can consciously do the work to do that and we're not talking about massive amounts of breathing we're just talking about a 10 minute routine every morning so you start the day in your parasympathetic nervous system you go out there, you'll be more resilient to change. You'll be more yeah. resilient to arouses that will normally affect you. Mm. Um, and you can kind of carry that resilience throughout the day. Yeah. Mm. And then if you do it again in the evening, does that carry into your sleep? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's really important. The night r- routine is just as important as the morning routine um, because I guess it stops us from accumulating anything from the day. Um, you know, once we have troubles on our mind and we go to sleep with them on our mind, um, we're really kind of like just bathing in that through, through our sleep and we're waking up in, um, not the best, um, best version of ourselves that we can. So a nighttime routine can be really powerful Mm. and beyond that with mobile phones and stuff these days, the white light and, um, you know, you putting your phone away at 7.30 at night and, you know, I personally have candles you know so i go to ikea and buy some candles these days and you know when the Mm. sun goes down i like candles yeah Um, i put out my phone away at 7 30 i can be a little bit naughty sometimes and and be working a little bit later my partner normally pulls me up much to my disgust um but yeah i have like you know good sleep hygiene um which allows me to to be a healthy version of myself yeah you know, they've done some massive studies around yeah. the uh, link between when the white light bulb was invented and human disease on the planet. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's massive. So, you know, that's just a story and belief system that some people have out there. But I've definitely noticed even with the adrenal fatigue that I had and removing white light from my nighttime yes. routine, the massive changes that that's had within myself. Mm. Yeah. And, um, yeah, the advent of having LED lights in the house is not... Awesome. Mm. One of the things 
my partner Lucy's very keen on is you know regular filament bulbs mm. at the very least yeah you'll see all those out there yeah, okay. filament bulbs yeah <laughs> and that one there that comes on at the end of the day but there you go Ikea you can get some um, you know 15 hour plus candles a four pack of them for three dollars there you go you know so you can have like candle candle um, by candlelight for a very um, cost effective means and mm. yeah what have you learned about yourself on this journey? Yeah, everything. <laughs> I don't even think I knew myself before this journey. Um, I learned that... That's you know, interesting yeah, in and of itself. Yeah, I learned that I am a very um, caring and kind person. Like, you know, um, I've learned that we're also similar. Like, you know, we're, it's Australian culture not to express ourselves. and Yeah. You know, I go to a men's group in Victoria Park every Wednesday and we're just like a bunch of um, healthy young males that are kind of going through our challenges and our wins throughout the week. Yeah. But as everyone expresses themselves, you know, we've all been there, we're all going through the exact same stuff. So I'm mm. learning that, you know, I am I am just like my brothers and just like my sisters mm. and we're all going through the same challenges together. So it's time to drop our masks and drop our walls and receive the help that we need. Yeah. I've started to float the idea of the 80-20 rule that between internet, social media, stuff like that, we think that we're 100% unique. Mm -hmm. And with that, our, our troubles and our dramas, as well as our successes, are 100% unique. But the more I think about it, the more 80% of what we do is just the same as everybody else, including mm -hmm. dramas. And it and we are unique mm. we are all the same in that 80% mm. but we are unique in our 20% yeah and if we can spend more time being healthier by listening and learning to those around us which is part of what I do with yeah. this podcast and drill in the 80% yeah so it's more healthy yeah I think you give your 20% more room to shine yeah I think definitely every single person individually when they're in their true form is 100% individual but I think mm. that the 80% of our troubles and the stories we're telling ourselves are you know environmentally um, induced yeah so yeah 100% like we're taking on our environmental conditions and we're sharing those mm. and that's definitely the 80% because all of our stories and struggles are the same because they've come from the same conditioning mm. um, and that's one of the things that I talk about in my book that you know I hope everyone out there is going to read shortly um, is that when's it out? Oh, it should be a couple of months. I'm not. I'm. I'm not that. I'm not that fast on time. But yeah, yeah, it'll be out when it's out. But um, it's it's the fact that we're holding so much trauma in our DNA from generations of war. Um, yes. And that you know every single person in today's modern age has some form of trauma in their bloodline or their DNA that is causing them to have like to suffer today. So you know we've never been in um, such a a time for change where we've had the spaciousness, the information, the access to food and, and healing that mm. we have ever been. Um, and that you're basically not just healing you, you're healing all of the um, past struggles that your families have dealt with from previous wars. Mm. Um, so there's been a lot of war over the um, timeline within the world. And you basically break that down that, you know, just like myself, that I went off to war, I come back. You know, I think of all of the 
the um, struggles that I've passed mm. on to my ex-partner and my family and all of the things that I've done just through me coming back to war. Yeah. So if we multiply that by every war and every male that's ever been to war ever since the beginning of time, we all share really common DNA and, and um, like common um, foundations that basically all of that exists within us today. So you know, we really need to take responsibility for where we're at and this safety mm. that we have in today's modern age to actually start to change that. Yeah. As I listen to you there, there's almost this incumbent responsibility that that starts for future generations yeah. as well. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's that whole thing I read all about, you know, men, you know, certainly over the, since the Industrial Revolution, um, what's been the main story? Men go away mm. to do things, mm. whether it's factory, war, mm. whatever. Yeah. Abandonment. Yeah. Yeah. And then future generations of men are raised by their mum mm. with the absence of solid role, role models. Yeah. Yeah. And so it perpetuates. Yeah. Perpetuates and another story creates itself. Indeed. Yeah. What does the next three to five years look like for Matt? Good question. Uh, so I've put an intention out, out there, there to help. <laughs> yeah, book out there. Put an intention out there to help my boss, Julian Pace, so I kind of change a few million people's lives in the um, in like the corporate environment small too large as well too so I think it's pretty um, unfair that only the medium to large size businesses within Australia mm. at the moment are getting access to this preventative mental health care so um, as an organization we're going to try and create a space where there's smaller um, small, small, medium-sized businesses can come and interact with preventative mental health. So that's yeah. going to be one of the things next year. So I think that that's um, something that's really big for me. Um, and then ultimately, just passing on the personal knowledge that I have around PTSD to help people kind of um, change their story with PTSD, um, which you know I've already been having an impact in that already. Um, and just hopefully that will just organically grow into what it's meant to be. I don't have any burning desires to be anyone or anything. Um, just kind of, you know, wake up and, and go about my day and whatever feels in alignment and whatever feels good for me, uh, I'll kind of have a look at. Awesome. Mm. What's Matt's daily routine? It must be stuff you do consistently. Yeah, you'll love it. Um, yeah. So my partner... You'd have to be, being yeah. ex-military yeah. as well, wouldn't you? Yeah. Well, and that's some of the part of taking some of the good stuff. Yeah, I've never really thought about it like that. Yeah. Um, but so 5 a.m., 5.30, I get up and uh, my partner and I do... What like time do you go to bed? Um, oh, early, yeah, yeah. Nearly like 8 o'clock these days because as soon as you have candlelight and no phone, it's like resetting that um, circadian rhythm that exists yeah. within ourselves. Like, Kate, you know when you go camping and you hop in a tent yeah. um, and there's no white light anywhere and yeah, you go to yeah. sleep when the sun goes Everyone down? Everyone goes, oh, I'm tired. Mm. What time is it? Yes. Yeah. Eight o'clock. That's, that's our life now. So yeah. it's, it's really cool. Um, and so that's one of our routines is that kind of candlelight and going to bed earlier, um, mm. which just naturally happens. It's not like forcing it. You just listen to your body. Yeah. Um, and then the morning routine is like breath work and kind of activating some of those automatic systems that I spoke about that exist within mm. us. Um, and like expressing our needs so starting to change some of the um, relationship conditioning that we've had previously mm. and some of the conditionings that we have within ourselves of not being able to express our needs or understand our needs 
and I think that, yeah, and I yeah. think that that's like a that's superpower. Strong, in, yeah, a superpower in itself. Every morning, just to tune into your body and ask you what your needs are, and then expressing them to your partner, and then having them received. Um, you know, you're breaking down a lot of stories there about being seen, heard, feeling, and, mm, and creating. That's magistral. Yeah, creating like strong cognitive functions within our, um, you know, neuroplasticity and all of that. Um, and and I always say bravery in the relationship every single morning. Yeah. This is what I need. Yeah, you've seen this as well too. This is what I'm checking in with. This yeah. is what I need. Yeah. Um, and just like yourself, no coffee these days, so a matcha. Yeah. Um, filled with some ashwagandha and a few other like adaptogens um, around like adrenals and, and, and gut health as well um, and obviously like no phone or no social media in the morning as well too um, so yeah that's the morning routine it goes for you know it can go from half an hour up to an hour depending on um, what our days look like mm. if I've got any 7.30 podcast starts yeah. uh, but um so yeah, and that really sets me up for success. I go into uh, the Happiness Co. or go to wherever I'm meant to be and I'm super grounded and I'm holding my state. I have amazing awareness. I have ability to allow people to sync up to me as well too. You know, um, I think when we very first um, chatted, we spoke about the electromagnetic rhythm of a heart and yes. you know, it's going up to eight meters out. Yes. So as you go out into the world in these particular states... You know, people are actually syncing up to you and, and feeling that level of calmness and, and kindness that's radiating out of you mm. and you're kind of actually starting to have change within your community without people even being uh, very aware of that. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, um, it's cool. And that's all founded by routine and, and choice um, and by just waking up in the morning and getting straight into it. Awesome. Mm. So the last question I'd like to ask my guests is... If you could take one nugget of information and upload it into the collective consciousness, everyone just gets it, Mm. what would it be? How important self-love is. And I'm not talking about like running a bubble bath. I'm talking (laughs) about like actually feeling love for yourself and making space to feel love for yourself. Because if you think about like it, and, you know, you break down our body with cells in a Petri dish. Um, you know, the difference between you f- actually feeling love for yourself and sitting in that versus running a bubble bath. You know, maybe if you love sit in the bubble bath and then you feel love for yourself, that's okay. But it's about yeah. that feeling love for yourself and connecting yeah. to that source of love that we have within ourselves and that that's always present. You know, and if it's not present, it's because we're in a story and that, you know, we have something to move through and we can actually use our preventative mental health tool sets to get out of the story and then get back into that place of groundedness and love that exists within us. Yeah. Yep. Awesome. Yeah. If people want to come and find you, Matt, where do they find you? Uh, it can find me via the Happiness Co. Yeah. Or just Matt Bruce online. I do have like a little um, seven week uh, like men's online program that I do as well too. It's called Embracing Change. It's basically where a lot of the uh, male people that I'm working with at the moment are struggling for change. Um, so it's about giving them the tools that I've used to really make um, you know change in really deep disconnected places as well too. So um, yeah, Facebook Matt Bruce and yeah, reach out to the Happiness Co as well too. Um, yeah, the work that we're doing there is quite amazing as well. Um, you know, we did a large heavy diesel mechanic um, 
business the other day, uh, Mater, um, and they had 150 mechanics in the room, and you know we basically um, went through preventative mental health tool sets, mm. roles, emotional set points, and all of these things that you know um, they received in the end. I think they had a bit of resistance at first, but mm. you know the transformation and the tools that we have and our lived experience, um, we can open them up to receive that. So we're doing some really cool things out there. So, yeah, the happiness code is definitely where you can find me. Excellent. Mm. Matt, it's been an absolute privilege to listen to you this morning. I've really enjoyed, I know you called yourself a trauma nerd earlier on, but I've really enjoyed your most logical framework to be able to describe and explain things, which makes it quite accessible. Because mm. it'd be very easy for a lot of this stuff to be passed off as woo. Yeah. But to actually no when you breathe this happens you have a system and it does that mm. this is the mechanics of that mm. backed up with your own personal stories it's been yeah. super powerful yeah I think that's part of why I'm here is to just um, break that down for people and, and mm. give it to them in a natural way so yeah thank you thank you very much